This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show this afternoon. Don't forget the usual numbers. I always remind you if you want to partake in the show or comment or say anything to us over the next couple of hours, the 086-1800-658. That's the WhatsApp or text number. That's 086-1800-658. And we always love to hear from you. A little bit later on in the show, our Lizzie Dorn is in the Far East. Where is she today? Well, we're going to join her live a little bit later on. Dr. Kate McCann is with me as well, ahead of World Obesity Day uh, later this week. And uh, we'll hear from Kate in a little while. And we're joined by uh, a man for me, the farmer for me, whose family's farming the land there for almost a hundred years. He's a very, very interesting guy. But we begin today, and you may not know this, but there is a review happening of uh, an act in this country. It's a very important one. It's the Education for Persons with Special Education Needs. And the act is being reviewed uh, presently and will be reviewed very shortly. But the key factor is this, that the deadline for submissions and parents are asked to make submissions is this Friday. So with this in mind, uh, we want to bring to you today a lovely story from Tully, da- Tully Donnell National School uh, near Toher in County Louth, where they have seen the benefit of extra resources in the form of SNA assistance to students in their school who need that little bit extra help. And firstly, let me tell you, I'm joined on the line by the principal of the school, Anne-Marie Ford. Hello, Anne-Marie. Hello, how are you, Jerry? I'm here with uh, Eli and Oscar and Molly May, who all have a diagnosis of autism and who um, have would like to have a, a little word today and tell how the support has really helped them in school. Absolutely. I'm going to come to them in a second, but I just want to start with you because yes. you as principal at the school were crying out for extra resources. Now, you, you, you've got a strange answer from the department. You were asked to, you know, do it what you had and dole it out. That w- yeah. wasn't a good response, was it? No, it was, we were actually shocked now, Jerry, at the time, because what, hap- what happened is, to just to give you a bit of context, we have four classes um, of early intervention for children with a diagnosis of ASD here. And the Epson Act, which is the, the closing date for this Epson Act review, is tomorrow, or, sorry, Friday, mm. the 3rd of March. And the, the ideology of the Epson Act would be the inclusiveness, one of including all students and giving them their chance to shine in mainstream along with their, their, their peers who don't have additional needs. 
So when we went to transition three children who had additional needs, two from the early intervention classes into mainstream primary school, I assumed there'd be no problem about getting the supports because they were well supported in the early intervention class. But when I applied for the support, I was given an outright no. Now, we appealed that decision and again, we got a no. Mm. So I, I had been acting in the role of SNA in order for these children to come to school because I couldn't take from other children up the school who had access to SNA support. So we said, we're going to have to march to the doll. We can't take this. You know, these children need the support. So we marched to the doll. We, uh, we had a meeting with NCSE, who again told us no. Um, and then we decided we were going to march to Josepha Madigan's constituency. And at that point, the Department of Education sent a delegation down from the department to review our situation. Now, this was a fairly difficult um, you know, experience for all involved, um, particularly the parents and children who, you know, parents have expressed, you know, their, their humiliation, I suppose, of having to to speak to a delegation of strangers that they didn't know and, you know, request support for their children that they felt was fairly evident in reports that would have come from the different clinicians in the HSE. And many have said that, you know, they felt they were begging and that it was a fairly degrading experience for them. So I suppose our... Our position is that we do not want to see this happen in any other schools. The exceptional review process which we went through is incredibly flawed. Um, There's 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 an awful lot of want. The the system's fairly broken, Gerry, as I'm sure you know, Um, Mm. and uh, across the board in terms of even multidisciplinary support for families. I know there are families on waiting lists looking to have assessments done, looking for OT support, looking for speech and language, psychology. It's... It's incredible what people are having to go through and I'm meeting an awful lot of people across the North East uh, from the top of Dundalk there all the way over to Mead, uh, families who are on their knees, who are really broken as a result of not having the supports that they need. And so we, we need everybody really, I think, to come together at this point and to let the, 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 um, the government, the Department of Education and the HSE know that this cannot continue any longer. Really. And as I said at the start, Friday is the key date. You mentioned it yes. there yourself and we're looking for, and you are, and anybody who's affected by this should try and make a submission on the Education for Persons with Special Education Needs Act Review, short Absolutely. E-P-S-E-N Act Review. That's and, right. And, that's and I suppose there's a really important point in this for all people listening to this radio station today, Jerry, and that would be that when a child with special additional needs or additional needs doesn't get the support they need, all children in that class will miss mm. out, you mm. know, because the focus, the, the, the focus is pulled. So when a child who has additional needs get the support in form of, uh, and I don't like the term SNA either, I would prefer to see teaching assistant. If you had a teaching assistant in the class who can support the child with additional needs, but all children um, at, at times have, have needs, you know, and I think having, having a sufficient bodies in school to allow children to progress is, is key. I certainly worked in the English system for a while where every class had a teaching assistant, so there is a precedence there for that, and we need to really look at other models which work better in other countries. And you've obviously seen this work in practice when you got the extra resources. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, the children are testimony to that. I mean, we had situations here which were difficult, and as I said, all children were being affected. Um, and the difference 
that you know simple strategies of 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 sensory breaks or taking children out for you know a little bit of work in a peanut ball, a little bit of a time out of the classroom where overwhelmed where children have become overwhelmed, you know that has made all the difference in terms of especially your child with autism needs those sensory breaks, but also other children with sensory difficulties or where their trauma has been will say a, a factor in in a child's life. Mm. There, can I talk to the the, the, the yes, young ones there? Would you put Would you put Eli on to me first, please? I'll put Eli on. No problem at all, Jerry. Hold the line. Now, Eli. Hello. Hello hi, Jerry. hi, Eli. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Just tell. Thanks for having me. Not at all. You're very welcome. You're 12 years of age. You go to Tully Donald National School, and you didn't have the help you needed previously. What difference has it made to you? Uh, well, it's made a big difference. The, I get to go on sensory breaks now four times a day. Uh, really great to give me some fresh air so I can clear my head and focus better in class. I, I, have, I was having meltdowns all the time before I got the supports I need. and um, Now I'm having almost no meltdowns. Now I'm having no meltdowns and it's, um, effect, it's affected everyone. When I was having meltdowns, it, it affected all the children in the class, not just me. Mm. But uh, now the class the class environment is better now. I'm getting my sensory breaks that I need. So and it's made a big, big difference to you. And as your principal, Anne-Marie, said there, to everybody around you, life is calmer and better for everybody in the classroom. Yeah, it's it's really it's really better for everyone now. Um and some other people in my class that needed breaks as well, they're getting it now. And it's, uh, it's better now, uh, really. It's great to hear this. And for you, for your learning and that, it's obviously made a huge difference to you personally. Uh, yeah, it has, it has made a big difference uh, to me especially, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, is, it, is, it was affecting everyone, um, not just me. Even children without additional needs, uh, mm, mm. you know, if if one child in the class isn't getting the support they need, like Mrs. Ford said, it, it affects everyone. And you would love to see this. You have it there now. Aren't you so lucky that you have it in your school there? You would love to see this in every school. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want any other schools to have to beg like we did to get the support. It was really hard. We stood outside the doll in the pouring rain um, and it was it was really stressful and uh, stressful for Mrs. Ford as well, planning out all of this. Yeah. I, I don't want any other school or any other child to have to beg like that. You're great in what you did, and look what you achieved. And you had to go through a lot to achieve this, but at the end of the day, you have it now, and you should be really a role model, I would hope, for other schools as well, and that they will listen, listen more within the department and in, in the review of this act a, as well. Is Molly May there beside you? Can I have a chat with her? Yeah, Molly May is here. Hello, Molly May. Hello. Hi. Are you all right? Nice yeah. to talk to you today. Tell us about um, your wobble stool, will you, Molly May? Well, before I had it, it was very hard for me to concentrate in class because I couldn't. I needed like movement. Hmm. And the wobble still really helps with that. So it's a comfort to you to move when you're actually in class and when you're taking lessons. Yeah. 
great. And this idea, this this wobble stool alone has made a huge difference to you. Yeah. And what does it do? It's 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 not a legs. It can move. Is it? It goes from side to side, forward, backwards. What? It spins around. Right. And it does go back and forward. Yeah. So you find that helps you with learning. Yeah. And that's just one aid for you. Do you get the sensory breaks as well? Yeah. And they, they're very important to you too, are they? Yeah. Really good. And are you much happier now going to school and being in class at school? Yeah, because before I had the sensory breaks, I couldn't really concentrate. So that enables you to concentrate better. And I take it then back home when you have homework to do or in your home life, it makes it better too, does it? Yeah. Isn't that a great Great outcome all round for everybody. I'm sure your uh, family must be delighted with this too. Yeah, before I had the sensory breaks, I used to have regular meltdowns at home. Did you? And and they just come on, would they? Would, would something prompt them or did they just happen periodically? Well, it was just too much to take in class. Yes, I see. I see. And again, like I said there to uh, Eli, uh, and he said several times to me, it's better for everybody. Yeah. Which is great to hear. It really is. Oscar's there too, I believe. Can I have a little chat with Oscar? Now, Oscar. Say hello to Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Oscar. What age are you? Uh, Ten. And what class are you in? Four. And who's your teacher? Mr. Hines. Right. Tell me about you and the changes that the assistance has made to you. What difference has it made to you? I hated going to school and before, uh, after I got the the sensory breaks, I it really helped. And it wasn't because of my teachers and my friends that I hated school. It was because I uh, it was too much and I couldn't move around and I just needed to clear my mind. Sorry, um, sorry, and um, I am much better now. Good on you, good on you, good man yourself. You've explained that really well to us. We understand what you're saying. We can really understand what you're saying and the difference that 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 has made. So, do you love going to school now? Are you up early? Are you ready to shoot in? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And you know the point you make, it was nothing to do with the teachers of the class or your friends there and anything else. It was just getting that little bit of space to breathe, to take the breaks. So how many how many sensory breaks would you get? How frequently do you need them, Oscar? Uh, three per day. That's all? Yeah. Right, and, and what do you do on the sensory break? Just tell us what happens. Uh, I, mo- I move, I walk around school... Right, okay, and you clear your mind and then you're ready to go again, are you? Yeah, and a peanut bowl as well. And uh, it really helped me going on a peanut bowl because I'm able to move around a lot on it. What is that? Explain that. What is it? So it's basically like a yoga ball, but it's like in the shape of a peanut and you're able to like uh, move forward and back on it. I love it. I can picture it. The, the shape of a peanut and it allows you to move around and roll around with it as well. Yeah. And you find that very helpful to yourself? Yeah. Isn't that great? God, you have a great school there and wonderful teachers and a brilliant principal, haven't you? Yeah. 
Just put Molly B back on one second, would you, to me? Good man yourself. Nice to talk to you, Oscar. Thank you. Molly May. Yeah. I didn't ask you. What age are you? Nine. And what class are you in? Third. Third class. And who's your teacher? Mr. Hayden. Is he great? Yeah. And he takes care of you all very well? Yeah. Ah, that's good to hear. I just didn't ch- chat to you about that. I wanted to check where you are. So there you are. We have a good range. We have 9, 10 and 12 that we're talking to. Will you put me on to Miss Ford again, please? Hello, Jerry. I'll tell you one thing. They're great children, aren't they? And you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> you have fantastic children there. How they're able, like they're only 9, 10 and 12, yeah. you know what I mean? They're to- fabulous. It's on our website, Jerry. We have it advertised on our website. We have the best children in Ireland in our school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, you're going to be jammed with applications to get into Tully. <laughs> to the Tully Donald National School uh, from here on in. But you know what? I admire your tenacity. I admire your determination. I admire your love for the children and your desire to make their lives and everybody's lives better. Uh, it's, look, it's the way we all have to be, I think, Jerry, in society is, is, you know, look after each other and look after especially the most vulnerable. And, you know, I, I've always had a great love of children and you just want to do your best. And, and that's the bottom line, you know. It does show you, though, the difference. Going back to what you said to me a little earlier on, that yeah. the assistant... You know, the teaching assistant, the difference that can make and those simple little things to allow movement, to give space for a break. It's not rocket science, is it? It's not rocket science. And yet it's crucial. And this was one of the arguments. And I felt I was really having to repeat this on on the four days that we had this delegation in was the importance of because there was a document, Jerry, that came out uh, called Movement Breaks in the Classroom for Post-Primary students and it showed children sitting on chairs um, swimming and cycling and that sort of thing and you know this was the document that was kind of handed on to us to use that these, this was, was what could be used in the classroom as an option and there was no understanding of that it's the classroom environment itself that a child can look like they're absolutely fine sitting on a chair in the classroom but nobody knows what can, they can, people can't see what's happening in the brain of a child so the, the, the classroom becomes too overwhelming. There's the, the fluorescent lights, there's the sound, there's all the other people around, there's all that sensory stimulation, and that becomes really too much. It's like, a, it's like a, a kettle boiling, and then suddenly the steam starts to rise, and, it, and, it, and, it, and the whistle goes then. It's too much. And that's what kind of happens, you know, for a child, especially with sensory needs, is that, that it all becomes too overwhelming and overpowering, and then there's a, a, a meltdown. And sometimes it can happen that the child can mask it, hold it together, but then what we've seen is um, that, that, you know, in the likes of CAMS and places like that, this kind of, this kind of um, um, can come out in mental health problems later on mm. when it's all internalised. So, you know, it's, it's really crucial to get in at the early stages and to acknowledge and identify these problems, deal with them. And as you said yourself, very simple strategy, having these little sensory breaks going out on the peanut ball. We've lots of equipment here in school that we can use for deep pressure or for, you know, different whatever the child needs from a sensory point of view. And that gives that little bit of relief so that the child is regulated and then able to concentrate and learn in class. So it affects when, when the sensory needs aren't met. Yeah. Learning can't actually happen. I understand. And yeah. when they move on beyond you, which uh, Eli will be doing soon, um, yeah. What second level like? Only in a. I, I know you're not. A, you're in primary level. Is, yeah. is there better 
supports there? I, I, w- I wouldn't think so, actually. And I think, I think uh, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the principal from second level. Yes. But having spoken to Paul Savage there, who, and I, I'm sure Paul, and I hope he won't mind me mentioning, but Paul would have spoken on various meetings with myself in terms of the continuity model from early intervention right up to secondary level. Paul would have spoken about the difficulty around trying to do integration in ASD classes where uh, AS classes, where his children might be going to, you know, he might have six children in a class, they need to go into maths or they need to go into science and they're at different blocks and he's got no SNA support within the school mm. system to allow these children to integrate. So the inclusion model really isn't working because it's not facilitated in the mainstream, yes. at, on the mainstream level. Yes. You know, and if we, if, if we want that, if we really want to stay true to the Epson Act, the, the spirit of that act, then we need to support it because otherwise, really, it's lip service, Jerry. Do you know? Yes. And like the new part, there's a new admission. There was a new admission, uh, an amendment to the Admission Act, which came out there a couple of months ago in relation to no school now can refuse to open a special class and no school can refuse a child with special education needs coming to school. And I absolutely agree with the, the, the ideology behind that. However, it's very dangerous to put that in policy and not back it up with the support because that's a massive health and safety issue for yes, everybody. Yes, You know? Anyway, it's interesting just to hear your perception of that from, as you say, uh, your meetings and involvement with Paul Savage, who we will tell people is the principal of St. Joseph's Secondary yes. School, huge he's school in Drogheda. Ah, oh, he's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Look, so today the purpose of this is is to highlight this review and the closing date is this Friday. Parents can make submissions... What's the easiest way to get in there and have we your say? We actually set up, we had a meeting in Monaster Boyce in January and we set up, it was the parent body actually who came to the meeting. They came from Dublin, Dalkey, Monaghan, everywhere to this meeting to, to find information. And a lot of mm. parents were shocked that they didn't know that this was going on. But we set up a Facebook page called Epson Act Review, okay. Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So if you go on to Epson Act Review on Facebook, it has all the information there. It has all the information in regarding the amendments to the act that we were looking at and anything yeah. that people need to, to, to use and all the links for it for submission. Fantastic, fantastic. I'm so delighted to chat to you today and will you thank Oscar, Molly May and Eli and congratulate everybody in the school there. You're wonderful. Tully oh, Donnell National will School. There'll be no homework tonight, no. Jerry. They'll be delighted because they're all <laughs> listening in in their classroom so I'll get a big roar now of cheer of no homework. Well, delighted. <laughs> to everybody in Tully Donnell, you heard herself, Miss Ford, say there is no homework this Wednesday evening for anybody in the school. So there you are, the benefits of having a chat on Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Anne-Marie Ford, Eli, Oscar and Molly May, fantastic. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a million, Jerry. Take Thank care you. of yourself. Thank you now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eamon. What a wonderful woman, Jerry. Anne-Marie is. She's her daddy's daughter. Thanks indeed for that, Eamon. Um, another one there, Jerry. What an interview, listening to those three children speaking. An amazing school. Very well done to everyone involved in that school. That comes in from SEPTA today. Um, there's somebody else who has a grandson who uh, lives with autism and looking for that peanut ball, is it Louise? That's what it's called, a peanut ball? It's called a peanut ball, yeah. Similarly here, it's an inflatable therapy ball 
Um, and it's, it's kind of effectively two therapy balls joined in the middle by a salad. So it kind of looks like a... A peanut. A peanut. As they said. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. very good for sensory and it often helps children uh, to calm down when they're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, somebody looking, where would they get it? Do, have you any links there? where they? Can you just Google it and you'll find out where it's on sale? Yeah, sensationalkids.ie is one that yeah. have come up here. Yeah, it was... Uh, um, if I find any mainstream shops, I'll let you know. Yeah, thanks, Hillary. And Hillary's just saying, my grandson Argos. is waiting for a place uh, in a play school. It won't be in there till September. Argus have it, have they? Well, I think so. Argus has been advertised here. I'll, I'll just... Yeah, we'll check that, we Hillary, and we'll tell you for definite. But if you Google it anyway, you'll see what they were talking about there. It, the description is the shape of it, for sure. We were talking to Anne-Marie Ford and some of our wonderful students, top of the show. Another comment in there to say, Jerry, Tully Donnell National School is a simply wonderful school. My granddaughter is going there since September and she's really learning loads. She loves it. Thanks indeed for that. If you'd like to keep bees or ever thinking of keeping bees, here's your chance because a beginner's course uh, begins on Monday next, the 6th of March at half past seven in the Chaga Centre, Dublin Road, Dundalk and continues for seven Monday nights after that, everybody welcome. And that's a great opportunity if you want to learn about bees. Now, we move on on late lunch this afternoon. And my next guest knows the value of bees, I'm sure, in terms of pollination and everything else. His family have been farming at Ashfield in North Mead for almost 100 years at this stage. I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to Walter Rantree. Hi, Walter. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me on the show. God, you made the television a while back with Dara McCullough on Air to the Ground. Yeah, oh, the place looked great. You all looked marvellous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looked well, yes. Very good, yes. And it wasn't a great day either, but, you know, you know it looked well. Oh, it, cer- it certainly did. Tell us the history. 1926, your grandparents, was it began? Yeah, they moved They moved from Kingscourt in County Cavan. They are just outside on the Sherbrooke Road and... Granny was Granny was born around here, so I was happy. It was happy for her to move back. So, but we're here since anyway. Yeah, here since and doing well. A mixed farm. What does that mean? Explain to our listeners what you do on a mixed we're, we're farm. Sucklers and 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 dairying. No, no. When I tell you, there's a lot of townies listening to us today, and so and we often hear this on the farm news. Will you explain to them again what a suckler is? Suckler is where the calf. A calf is born to the cow each year and she she suckles that for nine months and then they're weaned off after that. The dairy cows, they're weaned within three or four days and uh, you make the cows send it, send it to the creamery. Okay, I see. And um, yeah. what the calves then, you rear the calves and sell them on, is it? Yeah, we sell them on then as either forward stores, which means that they're, we say they're just not finished or we would finish some of them as well. And are the male or females are either? Both Jerry, both yeah. You have it. It roughly breaks down every year about fifty-fifty. Oh, I see. Sometimes so. you have more heifers and more t- more years you have more bulls, but it, it kind of averages out. Uh, it's not like the human race where I think there's more <laughs> mo- no, more no, the more no. the females than the males. But anyway, um, you can determine now. So the whole the whole goal oh, yeah. in the dairy sector is now you have you have, yeah. you have AI your cows with sex sex semen, which guarantees, pra- practically guarantees a, a, a heifer calf. 
there you go. So you can dictate what you have. There you go. And you can. So there's, there's nothing in the world now, Jerry, that you can't distort <laughs> or manipulate yes. or. Yes. You know what I mean, it's not the way it's gone in every in every facet of life, every yep. every walk of life. Yeah, the appliance is science, as they say, and it's, it even yeah. applies in yeah. the in the agricultural industry. You're unusual in the dairy. And how many cows are you milking? Twenty eight. Is it roughly around that? Eight or thirty. We're kind of semi-retired. I'm in my seventies, and she's she's uh, sixty-five. So Sylvia's sixty-five. So there's no much. And uh, Mark has a good job in Lakeland Dairy, and then he can he can make as much as we make in half the hours in the week. Ah, uh, you know, I know. It's still, it's a love, it's a passion. Yeah, and Mark is your son. That's what we're just to tell this is Mark is your son. So about twenty-eight, thirty cows, and at the milk twice a day. Oh yeah. And 365 days a year? Well, yeah, well, in the wintertime, we'd only make once a day. But when they, when they calve in the, when they, when they calve down in the yeah. springtime, it'll be twice a day. Then for, they're twice a day from now on. Why, do, uh, why are you exceptional in that a lot of other dairying uh, you know, enterprises don't milk for, what, a couple of months, two months of the year in the wintertime? We used, we used to do that, but just it just... It just worked out this last couple of years that we didn't, we just didn't get them all dried off, you know that sort of way. Mm. It wasn't. It we kind of, we kind of fell in, fell into it rather by design. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I, I see. How much how much milk would a good cow yield uh, 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 in a day? Oh, should they be talking about when she'd be a full lactation? She'd run around twenty five kilos. I'm nearly well hours is in around twenty five kilos. I, I wouldn't know what the real. Well, you see, the problem is Jerry. I'm not serious about milking. You mm. know that sort of way. Yes. Uh, we just we are poking along. We 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 were. Uh, it's what Darren described as a very traditional farm. Yeah. Uh, there's there's more there's more of a push on with 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 we say the the men that are serious about dairy and at the present time. Yes. Uh, I still, as I explained on here to the ground. We farmed the same way as my parents farmed. and We made a living out of it and I'll die of a lot of things, but I won't die of starvation. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? There's an awful lot to be said for it, Walter, because, you know, when you're reliant on supermarkets and you can't bless yourself, well, God help us. <laughs> I mean, I mean that. right there, huh? <laughs> Um, tell me, tell me this. Um, and do you find that you know some some cows are certainly more productive than others? Are they average all around the same? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's no there's no conformity in 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 the cows. One he- one cow can be a great one, and she can breed several heifers, and they might never be any come anywhere close to her, and they could be twice as good as her. Yes. Just this, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of there's a lot of interbreed there's a lot of inter, inter, into the breeding of them, but yeah, and and you said kgs there. A kg is equivalent to a litre anyway, isn't it? So, but twenty five to t- more or less, yeah, lit- yeah, twenty five or thirty litres. It's a it's a I'm lot of milk. On me. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm getting into the I'm I'm I'm, le- I'm getting into the metric here with you. Anyway, um, what was it to say? You, you know, when you mentioned that you, you know you milk once a day in, in the the drier type of season, do you, do, does the the sun hop in for you? Do you get a break? Do you get away from it? You know, yeah, of course. Oh, we have we have a very act we have a very active. I don't know whether. Dara told you or not, but uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a badminton fanatic. I know this. I do, and I'm coming round to that now, so I am. That. I'm coming round to that. What club do you play with? I play with Bailieborough and County Cavan. And how long are you playing badminton? Well, I'm playing badminton since I was 14. 13, when I went to secondary school in Navan. I learned to play in the CYWS Hall in Navan. God, I played there myself. 
Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> oh my God almighty. There's memories for you for sure. So yeah. ba- Baileyborough is your home club and you play in the Mead and District League at the moment. Mead District League and we play the Cat. I also play, we play the Monaghan League as well because we're in the happy position there in South East Cavan where you're not too you're not too far away from either Mead, Monaghan or Loud. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a short distance now for argument's sake we played a we played a match last night in Baileyborough with a team from uh, just outside of Clonus. On mm. the, on the, on, just in from Manor, Ahadrum C. Yes. And we're going down. We're going down now tomorrow night to play in Belnalek. It's on the Inniskillen Road out of out of Beltorbet. These are nearly professionals playing every night of the week, are you? Well, as I as I said, so Darren knows like he's the same. <laughs> you need like to get out twice a week anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what, what, the Baileyborough yeah. Club. How many courts have you there? Oh, we only the one. Yeah. We're playing in the what the Bailey, the Bailey Church Hall. We're playing in it since nineteen thirty-five. There you go. There's yeah. history. If those walls could speak, Walter. Oh, I will. I hope to stay up until I'm finished. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, the will. Indeed, the will. But we were talking actually to Darry yesterday because he wrote about this in the paper only yesterday about the the outlet that badminton is from the pressures you know that he has in his daily working farming life as well. I take it it's a great outlet for you and has been always oh, in your absolutely, life. Absolutely, Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's 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 you know what I mean. You're away in the evening now. He talks about the late nights. The late nights doesn't annoy me because, as you say, you played years ago and you knew what it was two and three o'clock in the morning. Yes. I can leave the house here now to anywhere at all that I'm playing badminton. I can leave the house here at roughly seven o'clock and I'm back at twelve. Yeah. Which is grand, you know, that is grand, it really is. But uh, you remember the days when it went into the, the one, two, three in the morning on a stop, will yeah, you? Yeah, start at half seven and get your next game at five past twelve or a quarter to one, yeah. yeah. That was... And, and, and uh, we were saying, yes, the, the, the spirit, the camaraderie, the community aspect. But here's the thing, obviously, and I didn't realise this, that badminton, may I say in the sticks, is thriving. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, we have we have a very we have a very good league in, in Mead, as the fella said. Uh, we'd have roughly nineteen clubs to be three of those from Loud, and a couple of them from West Mead. Mm. But there's sixteen or seventeen very active clubs there in Mead. Uh, I suppose the biggest club would be in Navan. Mm. Navan would be the, Navan would be the biggest club, followed by uh, Wilkinstown out the road. Yes. Uh, it's a Wilkinstown Simonstown club because Simonstown is, is still being used for the the COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down to Wilkinstown, and that grew that club. That grew that club. And there's a club in Trim, Kildare, Longwood, and mm. by terrific. Oh, Screen, sure, I forgot about screen. Oh yeah, and Kildare was always a hub. There's a hundred juvenile, juvenile kids listed to play in Longwood alone. Isn't that just great? I'm hardened by this. I'm hardened because, you know, it's something that badminton, it had dipped a bit, but it's heartening to hear all this. Oh, when you mention Kildarki and the great late Mick Buchanan. Oh, what a player he was. Oh, my God. He passed away there a couple of years ago. Ah, he did. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. But look, at you now, you don't mind me saying that you're at the vet stage, uh, you know, uh, in your badminton career. Are you still as yarky and competitive and determined to win as ever? You see, you say you you say you won't until you get on the court, and then you know what I mean. Like there's, there's a chance there you're not too far behind, and you know that sort of way. I'd still be. I why wouldn't you? You have to be competitive, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean now that you'd be out and out 
busting competitive. But like, see, you give it your all any day. Any I all any night. I went out to play. I give it me all anyway. Yes, yes, and I I understand. So we have that streak within us. No, just tell us about the 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 league itself. Do you play uh, men's doubles, mixed doubles, singles? What? No, uh, well, there's men's. There's uh, there's three different sections. <coughs> three different sections in the league now. There's a lady. There's a ladies' league, a men's league, and a mixed league. Okay. Uh, the teams now are not eight persons; they're only four persons. Oh, I see. Right. We play no singles at all, only in the cup competition. Yes. Cup competition. There's two. There's a, a men's and a ladies singles, men's doubles, ladies doubles, and one mix. Yeah. And that's that's the way it works out. And should the whole scoring system would be changed from your day to like uh, you, yeah. you score a point now for every point played. Yes. Rather than you know the first service and the second service yes. like it used to be, and you'd be at maybe five all for that an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the score goes on now regardless of who serves. And it goes to 21 now, is it? It's 21, not... three gets best set, 21, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember playing Buchanan and his partner, myself and my brother-in-law, Michal O'Brien, one night in Kildare. This is no joking you. We walked the first set. We were 14 love up in the second set. And would you believe it? Buchanan no. beat us. He yeah. came back from 14 love down the second, won the third. I, I, I still think of it today. I, I'm still in shock all these years later, but he was brilliant. But it just shows you what can happen in sport. It's a great game, isn't it, Walter? It's, it's unreal. It's, 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 they say it's the best game for your heart that you can play. Hmm. You know, to, to keep you stoppled up anyway. I, I didn't die of it yet anyway. Yeah. So how long how long will you be treading the boards for? Do you think? I, I have I have ten I have ten years to go to catch up on on two boys that that play in Longwood. Really? Yeah. God yeah, Almighty! There was four four gentlemen in in Longwood played there for years. One of them one of them or two of them are not playing anymore, but there's still two of them playing. But when the four of them were playing, they went to Kildare one night to play a game and. The four boys that were playing were four young, youngsters, and the, the the age of the four boys didn't make one of the Longwood men's age. <laughs> the four of the opposition added yeah. together didn't make one age of the four other boys. One age of the Longwood man, and the Longwood boys won at four nothing. <laughs> that's, that's a few years back. You can't beat the... Yeah, there's, there's some great... You know yourself when you play any sport... It, there's, there's great stories and great crack you know out there but yeah. there, there's always problems as well but mm. look at the, we iron that out I'm, 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 I'm lucky enough to be chairman of Mead Badminton at the minute as the fellow said and we have a very active committee and they're very they're very good yes yes ah oh, this is great the I'm, whole thing going on I'm, we, we had a very successful two weekends there at Intercounty as well where we have uh, played five different grades in the Intercounty competition and we have a Mead team in each of the grades, so that final, the finals are in Dublin on the twenty sixth of March. So Terrific. we take some silverware home from that. And is that Baldoyle? We used to go to Whitehall yeah, Road. Baldoyle, yeah. 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 Is Whitehall Road still going? Is it still it's a bad? Yeah, we were playing the Whitehall Road last Sunday. Yeah, there you go. That was headquarters. Baldoyle. Now it is the big under pressure in, in Whitehall mm. Road to sell it for development, but uh, oh. no fella has come up with enough money yet. Oh, hold on to it. Hold on to it. Don't sell it. It's a, it's a prime asset. It really, really is. Do you know what I love? about you as well when uh, Dara was rounding off his feature with you back on uh, Ear to the Ground you, you said When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. did something that really resonated with me. You said in life, your one desire for yourself and everybody, your family, is to be happy. Absolutely, Jerry. Jesus, if you're not happy, if you're not like, a, like for argument's sake, if you're going into work there every day and that's a chore to you, that, yeah, well, to me, that's just a waste of time. People say to me, uh, the last the last serious holiday now, I, well, Sylvia's taken a few anyway, but uh, the last serious holiday I took was when we were 30 years married, and that was in 2008. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't miss it. We have an odd weekend and a few days here and then, a few, or a few days there, but I, I don't miss it. I get up every morning and I'm just as happy out in the yard as I was when I was 19. Ah. Isn't that just lovely? I mean, Do you know, uh, if, you, if, if, if you're working the whole year and you're looking for this two weeks off, to me, that's just a disaster. Mm. Anyway, mm. all you have to that's all I ever wanted for the two kids was that they'd be happy. Didn't matter the damage they were gathering bottles or whether they were millionaires. Yeah, and that is the truest thing you'll ever say. It is about if you're happy in your life. You have it. You have all the riches that you'll ever, ever want. You're a great fella. I'm delighted to chat to you today. You've done me hard good. Well, well, I'll tell you where I played. I played in the Star and Crescent here in Drogheda and then with St Mary's in Drogheda. But my big playing was with Oriel in Dundalk. I played uh, yeah, down, good, down yeah. there. I, I, we, we, we used to play Oriel in that time, yeah. Yeah, and Jimmy Martin, of course, was our great mentor uh-huh. down there. And Eni, the, his he wife. Know, he'd be before my time, but I, yeah. I, we, we used to play the Jimmy Martin tournament in the ramparts there yes. years back. Yeah, ah, listen, the great people and we played all round like yourself. I played all round Meath, I played all round Louth into Dublin as well, Whitehall Road and sure, we, we travelled the land so we did on bad roads and uh, early hours of the morning getting back into work the next day but you know what? It's Wasn't it just amazing too, Jerry, all the same at that time? I remember looking back oh, when it was something like Meath Badminton was Meath Badminton Association was 50 years there in 2019. Yeah. And uh, it was the it was the Kelvin District League before that, but the Diocesan Hall, the Church of Ireland Diocesan Hall in Kilmore, put in a team in the Kelvin District League. You know, the Diocesan Hall in Kilmore is three miles the north side of Cavan. Was not some journey for for to set into a car in 1955 or 1960 to come up to Kells or Kildare or Navan to play yeah. a game. Unbelievable people, you know, unbelievable commitment as well. But you know what? 
great memories, wonderful stories as well. And I hope you play forever and ever, to be honest with you. Walter, <laughs> you're great. That's the intention. I we'll do. See what happens. Keep on, keep on threading the boards. Walter, thank you, you for joining me. Rotten beat badminton and loud badminton as West Mead badminton there on, yeah. on, the, on the LMF and I, and I listen to you. If I don't hear about badminton in a month's time, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be on to McCullough and I'll, I'll have him making an attack on you. <laughs> You're some boy. Walter, thanks for joining me on the show today. Here, Jerry. Take care Bye bye. Walter Roundtree. Oh, big God, he's lifted me heart on late lunch today. Nelly Pichardo. And I'm like a bird on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. We're actually for the birds on late lunch tomorrow with Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. Yes, we are indeed. Some people would say we're for the birds every day. How dare you? How dare you? How remiss of me not to do this top of the show. I nearly forgot it was under my notes here. Yes, the little saying for the month ahead on my divine word calendar says for the month of March delight in prayer is no measure of your love for God. But if we bear difficulties patiently then we will show that we truly love God. The little saying on my calendar, which I read to you each month on the first day, and today is the first day of March, so I don't have to say that month, Louise, for another year. That word, Louise, that I can't say. You know the word I'm talking about. No more, we can't February. say it. The month is over. That's fine. Uh, you still have to say it, probably, a few more times. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, but not as frequently as every single day. <laughs> 7.23am is reckoned to be the most stressful time of the day. Day, 7.23 in the morning. How did well, they come to that? I do not know. I, yeah, I, 7.23, very, very stressed out at that stage. Would you? Yeah, I'm trying to detangle myself from the duvet while <laughs> shouting to my oldest, are you up yet? <laughs> I would say actually that hits the nail on the head. A lot of it comes from, you know, getting up and getting ready for school and getting everybody moving in the house. I'd say that has a lot to do with it. But as you know, for us on late lunch, that can be any time of the morning. It can be one o'clock. <laughs> if if guest, a guest doesn't show up. If a guest doesn't come true for us or a topic of that, honest to God, it can be stressful at any stage. But anyway, just a little ditty there. 7.23am, they're saying, is the most stressful time of the day. Uh, and uh, there you go. Sure, we could come up at another time and sure if we gave it a go ourselves. What's your most, most stressful? time stressful time of the day yeah I think when 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 we when we interact and and you know who you know we're waiting on somebody or have we got this or you know that time, you know me I do stress about that I do more than more you. panic than stress do I panic do I no I'm just saying is that not more panic than stress suppose a combination of both yeah. <laughs> panic and stress all combined <laughs> to be honest with you yeah I'm like the you're swan. a bit red in the face there yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like the swan you know what I mean you don't see what's going on underneath you only see what's above the water there you go giving a little bit away there too much too much information 4th of March is dedicated World Obesity Day and this year's theme is changing perspectives let's talk about obesity and we're going to talk about it for the next while with our doctor, Dr. Kate McCann. Hi, Kate. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. You are certainly commenting a lot ahead of this day and have quite a bit to say about it. Let's start, you know, let's talk about obesity. Well, let's talk about this because, you know, uh, what was published yourself in the Times newspaper last year caused an awful stir where they advocated shaming people, which was just horrendous. And the other thing is people believe that, you know what, obesity comes down to willpower. That's what it's all about. Just willpower, nothing else. What do you say to that? 
I think this is so important to talk about because obesity is a disease. And I think we just need to start there. Um, and there's a lot of stigma attached to it. There's a lot of misinformation around it. Um, and it, it's not helpful to, to patients. It's not helpful to, to people. Um, so starting with the very, very fundamentals that obesity is the disease and it's incredibly complex. It's certainly not down to willpower. There are many, many factors at play, um, including genetics, um, that that determine whether or not someone is at risk of developing obesity. So when you say genetics, are there people that unfortunately they inherited uh, from, you know, previous generations and they have no choice in that? Yes. There now it it's this is where it becomes complex. So we know that genetics um, we we the current research is we think that it's about 40 to 70 percent of it is related to genetics. That's a huge range there, 40, 70 percent. So it kind of shows you where the research is, is that it's great research. But, you know, there's a little more to be done. But then we know that that in the last 20 years, the um, the the rates of obesity have increased greatly. We know our genetic profile as humans hasn't changed that much in 20 years. So there must be other factors at play as well, which include our society. And, you know, we're, we're not we're not moving the way we have for the last few millennia as humans. You know, mm. our change in our transport, our change in our jobs, um, our urbanization. We're not moving the way we used to. Our diets have changed drastically to process and ultra-processed foods. Um, there's multiple factors at play and we're not really sure what the interrelationship is there. So there are those factors that we've got to look at. And one of those you just mentioned there, and you have the stat here, 60 percent of shopping trolleys in Ireland are now filled with hyper palatable foods, which means they're laced with sugar. Well, not necessarily sugar, but a lot of them are. It means that they're designed to be hyper palatable, which means that the food producer who processed them created them to have a low satiety, which means that when you pop one in your mouth, it's amazing. It's like this little bomb of pleasure goes off in your brain, but you don't have any satisfaction from it. You need to reach for the next one and the next one and the next one. So these hyper palatable and low satiety foods are ones that are processed and hyper-processed. And um, some recent research showed that um, your, the average shopping trolley in Ireland would be 60% filled of processed foods. Mm. Which is a major, major issue. And how do you go about tackling that? This is has been debated ad infinitum. You said about the sedentary nature of jobs, for sure. The other thing is screen, screen time. Sure, people now don't bother nearly going out from children from a young age, don't even bother going out to play. They just set themselves on their screens and that's it. Yeah. So and whether it's adults with the screen time or children with the screen time or quite honestly, entire, you know, it, 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 it can be family units with screen time. Our relationship with screen time can do a lot of detriments to our health, which not just our lack of physical activity. Um, it can be our sleep. It can be a lot of things. But, yeah, the this, the role of screens, even in our jobs, is really the problem or, you know, we're not doing physical we're not physically out walking. We're not even the fact of going to a meeting anymore. We're not physically leaving our desk to even walk down the hallway to a meeting. We're now just zooming in. So from what you're saying there, right, it is a disease, but it yes. is a disease that can be brought upon ourselves as well 
through some of the things we've just addressed and they're so case if we you know be careful and look at how we eat and feed ourselves if we do some more exercise ourselves and uh, move away from that sedentary lifestyle those things can help it can help so if you have a genetic risk factor then and you know and you're looking after a healthy life now the whole thing we have to say is very very clear is that the role of exercise in losing weight or maintaining weight is highly debated. But we do know that for maintaining health, doesn't matter what size you are, you got to move. Mm. And so that many of our chronic diseases now from our heart disease to obesity are related to our sedentary life. And so no matter what our size is, you know, our health as a population is suffering from from not moving. And you know, on the on the converse side of this side of this, and 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 I, I know you're well aware of this. Look at the load it's imposing on our health service, the money it costs, and everything. Wouldn't it make sense to tackle, you know, the nutrition end of things, the exercise end of things? Look at the benefits on the other side. Yeah. So I think one of the things is is that if we if a, if a patient is identified as having a risk for developing obesity. The only prevention that we have at the moment is what we call lifestyle interventions, which, you know, is trying to head off and kind of, you know, get ahead of the genetics. Mm. And because we know that the stakes are really high, when we're talking about obesity disease, we are not talking about aesthetics. We are not talking about cosmetics. And I am a huge critic that weight should be weight should not be anywhere near a discussion about someone's body image. Weight, when we are talking about it as doctors, is, is strictly limited to the effect it has on health, because we know that the complications from obesity really impact. Yes, we can talk about healthcare budget, absolutely, but we also want to talk about someone's quality of life yeah. and life expectancy. So liver disease, heart disease, joint disease, and lung disease, gut disease. We have a huge range of complications that arise from obesity, um, and they really impact on people's quality of life. What are the interventions? And, you know, there are interventions that can be made if they're needed. If somebody, you know, can't get a grip on this, doing what we're saying there, eating better, you know, exercising more, and still they have an issue. Um, what about medication here? Absolutely. So first thing is to say is that, you know, we wouldn't tell someone with diabetes or heart disease that they should, you know, manage it themselves. And yet we do have a message with with, you know, with weight that we that patients are shamed or feel like they shouldn't ask for help. And they should because it's a disease. So, yes, lifestyle, lifestyle interventions, no matter what chronic disease we're talking about, are, are going to be part of it. You know, we, we have to live healthy. Mm. Um, however, that's the only intervention we have for prevention. Once patients have developed obesity to the point where their weight is impacting on their health or quality of life, um, Lifestyle interventions may not be enough. Statistically, you might need more. And so we have the two mainstays of treatments available in Ireland right now are medications and the other is is surgery. And what are you talking about medication? Can you take a magic drug or two that will, you know, leave you less uh, inclined maybe to overeat or whatever? Or what are these? What what are the drugs? So we we do have um, a class of drugs available in Ireland. Um, and they're formerly called GLP-1 analogs, but most people listening would probably have heard them talked about called Ozempic or Saxenda. And they're injectable drugs that have a great safety profile because they've been used for years in diabetes, but they also have a role 
in, in treating patients with obesity. And they have a complex mechanism of action. They're not, they're not just appetite suppressants. They're not um, diet pills. They, are, they, they do affect the way the body metabolizes. Um, but under the care of, of, of expert-led services, um, such as a consultant endocrinologist, they're very safe to use. Okay, so it, it it actually deals with the metabolism, and then uh, of course we've all, most of us have heard about bariatric surgery. Uh, what do you make of it? So bariatric surgery is a gold standard um, in treatment of of obesity um, in the right hands. Again, a a consultant um, bariatric and upper GI surgeon um, working out of a main uh, either teaching hospital. Or um, uh, or a an academic private hospital, um, here in Ireland, um, very very safe, very very effective. Uh, where bariatric surgery becomes um, a little more questionable is well, actually dangerous is when patients feel that they are forced to travel abroad um, to places with less regulation. Um, and this is where we hear the stories that have been in the paper recently: patients coming back with complications. Um, like all treatments for obesity, um, you know, there is a profiteering um, aspect to that out there. Um, so the so we do see drugs being misused. We do see surgery abroad being done, not necessarily in the most capable hands. Um, and this is where we see the problems. But they are, both the drugs and the surgery are viable options, you would say. Absolutely. When they're done by, when it when the care is led by a qualified consultant, it's absolutely safe. Um, absolutely. And um, coming back to people listening to us today, the measurement of obesity, how is it measured? How would somebody listening today understand that they're obese? Is it just about, you know, having to go up a trouser size, get bigger shirts? You know what I'm talking about? How do you know? There's actually two ways to do this, one that I like and one that I don't like. Um, so, so all these patients will always have have probably heard about BMI, um, and body body mass index is a way we measure someone's height in relationship to their weight. It was never designed to measure a patient at all. It was, they, they were designed for um, for large epidemiology studies looking at huge groups of people. Today, we use BMI and. Um, because a lot of the research, the early research done on obesity over the last 10, 20 years has used BMI to put patients into kind of categories. However, I, like a lot of doctors, I really do feel it's a question of when rather than if we're going to get rid of using BMI to talk about obesity. Most doctors also use staging of obesity, which means it's not about the, the size or the number on the scale. Rather, how is the disease impacting the patient? So we would look at things such as blood pressure cholesterol, blood sugar, um, whether or not they develop fatty liver disease, joint impact, psychological health. And we can stage it using something called the Edmonton Obesity Staging System. So that's the way you prefer to uh, assess somebody's uh, potential or a fact that they might be obese? Yeah, it's it's really the impact, um, okay. uh, the impact of their health rather yes, than the, yes. rather than a number on the scale. Yes, I interesting, you know, on those key signs as well and, and measurement of those. I, I knew this was coming. People want you to mention those drugs again, but I presume those drugs are only administered. You can't uh, get them under a specialist, as you said. Just to repeat that. So yeah, if you feel that you are someone who wants to avail of drugs, 
the first person to talk to, please talk to your general practitioner. Mm. Um, you should have a health screening before you have it done. There is a HSE reimbursement scheme from the 1st of January this year um, that select patients are eligible for um, reimbursement for the drug Saxenda. So, um, you know, some of us, I know one of the doctors who feel that that criteria might be too strict, that should be a little more widely available, but it's definitely um, worth having a talk with your GP as your first starting point. And again, just to come back to the point of the whole issue of, you know, the food industry. And as you said, not necessarily all sugar, but just foods that are made tasty. They can be carbohydrates, etc. as well. That is there a job of legislation or something to be done there, do you think, as a, a medical person? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's some, it's not my area of expertise, but I do feel that there needs to be at least maybe a little more truth in labelling. Um, I definitely think there needs to be a better, I think, nutrition education um, mm. out there at, at some point so that, you know, patients are, are not patients, or well, just people are aware of, you know, a lot of these words on the front of packages like natural or plant-based, you know, sound like they should be healthy, but, you know, they're not necessarily when you see the stats, Kate, like it is really, really alarming that childhood obesity is expected to increase by 60% over the next decade, uh, re- involving 250 million children by 2030. That's not that far away. And worldwide, 800 million people living with obesity. It's a fright, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, it is for. It is basically the, the the real the real next pandemic. You know, we just came out of one. But it, I know it. From when we talk about a non-communicable disease, that we are kind of at um, a, at a point where it's going to have a serious impact on global healthcare systems. And right now, I think most um, listeners out there probably have heard talk about drug shortages. One of the drugs that is in shortage globally right now is um, Ozempic and a sister drug used um, abroad called Monjero. And there's a global shortage of this drug, which just shows the demand. Mm. It is. And it's a huge, huge issue. And again, I say the 4th of March is a day dedicated uh, in the world to focusing on obesity and changing perspectives. Let's talk about obesity is the title. And we've been talking about it for the last while with Dr. Kate McCann. And you can check Kate out. She's wonderful. And she uh, updates followers regularly. MDoc.ie. That's E-M-D-O-C dot I-E and MDoc across social media as well. You've been terrific as usual. Thank Thank you so much for joining us on Late Lunch today. I always appreciate your input, Kate. Thanks so much, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's Dr. Kate McCann there talking about obesity. Voted the sexiest man alive in 1991. Patrick Swayze. Yes, the sexiest man alive he was. In 1991, that song, of course, from the movie Dirty Dancing. How did he pull that off? Because he was an actor. He didn't ever really sing. But by God, he did with that song. I have to say, poor Patrick passed away in 2009. But what a great song that is. Louise, what's that message all about there? It says, Jerry, just to let you know, I had a bath today. Well done. (laughs) Got the top up electricity. Very revealing. Got, Got the top up on the electricity. 
I put the gas on for a short time. Never enough hot water for a bath, as you know. I went mad, put the immersion on too, and had the most beautiful hot bath ever. Don't mention my name, please. I won't. I won't. <laughs> What's that all about? What is that all about? Well, maybe, you know, you're always talking about how random you have baths. So she's kind of saying, you know, I'm with you on this. Lily, I should have jumped in with you. I've had a bath every six months, is it, Jerry? We don't have a bath in the house. (laughs) That's the thing. We got rid of our bath. We got shut of it. So I actually... seldom showers. Uh, no, I don't every day. You know, I don't. Why would you shower every day? There's no need. Unless the weather's sweltering or something, or you go a bit mad and that. You know, there's no need. I said that before. But anyway, well done to you. I nearly said her name there on your bath today. Just shows you the top up on the electricity. And I hope it wasn't cold getting out. out of the bath. Oh, there's nothing to beat a bath, though. I have to say, when you only have a shower, then you really miss the bath because it's lovely. Have you a bath? I do. Oh, aren't you lucky? You know when you put on a good hot yeah, bath, you can kids. just lie in it. No, ah, small kids. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just essential, isn't it? You have to have it. Mm. But you do miss it, that you can't just get in and just lie there and let the world the go candles by. all around you. Oh, and then one falls into the bath yeah. and then you knock another one out on the floor. <laughs> as long as you don't have a toaster beside yeah, the, you. The towel goes on fire and you're running out in the bathroom and not a stitch on you to try and raise the alarm. Yes, I what can just What time is that most stressful it. moment of the day? Uh, 9.30 at night, yeah. <laughs> can be too when things like that happen. Anyway, still to come on late lunch today, number three. You know. No wonder you don't have a bath in your house. <laughs> in my top five countdown, will you stop? And where's our Lizzie in the world today? And I do have to say to you that as well, just on a serious note before we take the break, PayPal in Dundalk, just been announced, is to close. PayPal in Dundalk is to close. Stay with us because coming up on news, we have the full story. Five, four... Three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from 1999 this very week on the UK top of the pops. So the uh, charts over there, top 100 of course, it always was. Anyway, today's song is by Miss Whitney Houston. Perhaps not a best known song, but when I tell you it won the 2000... Grammy Award for Best Female Rhythm and Blues Vocal Performance for this particular song. Yeah, and it's about uh, the uh, it's about a woman confronting her lover about his infidelity. It peaked at number four on the US Billboard 100 Singles Chart in 1999, later on in the year. But earlier in the year, this time of the year, 1999, it made it to number three in the UK and made it no higher. This was its top position on the chart. Today, in my Top 5 Countdown. It's Miss Whitney Houston and It's Not Right. Whitney Houston, number 3 in my Top 5 Countdown this week. It's Not Right. Number three today, two tomorrow and the number one on Friday from this week in 1999. Lizzie Dorn of this parish is on her travels in the Far East. We spoke to her a couple of weeks ago. She was in Vietnam at that stage. Today, where's Lizzie? Stay with us to find out. Lizzie Dorn is on her travels. Last time we spoke, she was in Vietnam. So where's Lizzie today? Well, where are you, young one? Hello, how are you? I am in Thailand. I'm on an island of Thailand called... um 
What's it called again? Um, <laughs> Copan Yang. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're all right. You're all right. I'm actually getting confused with them all now. It's just insane. We were laughing today. I was like, it's Wednesday. And I, our biggest conflict today was, which island are we going to go to? <laughs> <laughs> what time of the day is it there or night? It, it, it's quarter past ten in the evening. Oh, the lovely. Night. And what's your weather like? Stunning. Like, there's four Irish people. We're travelling as a foursome. And there are some red Irish people today on the island. It was very hot today. We took today as like an or and or day because we've been so on the go. But we were, and we were only in the sun for right on the beach for maybe been an hour or two. And we were like, oh, God, we all need to get into the shades. <laughs> like it's so it was I think it was like 33 degrees today. But even now, like the temperature doesn't seem to drop in the evenings. So like. It's warm. It's lovely. Well, I'm sure they're familiar. They're laughing and pointing. Ah, the Irish. Look at them. Red, red, red. <laughs> You'll see us anywhere. You'll see or hear me anywhere. <laughs> anyway, since the last time we spoke, you were in Vietnam. Take us from there. What happened from Vietnam? So we finished off Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh uh, City. The, that was a crazy city. It was um, the main thing to do there was the tunnels, the war tunnels. And the War Museum. Now, the War Museum is not for the faint-hearted. Um, an awful lot of gruesome images in there of what happened during the Vietnam War. Um, the tunnels itself were very... You go you go through the tunnels, you see some of their traps. Um, if, I was, if I was advising anyone when they're going to Ho Chi Minh, I would say do the tunnels in the morning if you can. We could only get an afternoon stop, but it meant we were travelling all morning and then all evening coming back. So I would say if you can, get up, get up and go early so you still have your evening because we had to kind of extend another day in Ho Chi Minh instead of having it all done the one day if you know what I mean yes um, and so at that though I actually shot an M16 gun <laughs> they were the guns used by the Americans during the Vietnam War so that was funny I got absolutely zero thrill out of it so I still don't understand shooting guns but um, I did it Good on you. So, you know, you got the feel for what firing a, a weapon was. But as you said, well, yeah. you know, it's one of those things you experience and you move on from it. So the city itself, yeah. obviously um, an historic place, busy, bursting with busy, people, etc. Yeah. Yeah, really chaotic. Like the nightlife, it doesn't end there. Like their main street is like it was just like nearly like DJ wars. Every club had like open doors. I'm like, there was just... So you couldn't hear yourself think. Like I actually wouldn't be in my scene now. I wouldn't be rushing back mm. um, for that. Like now you could go a few streets down, you could find more kind of chill vibes and nicer places, whatever. But it was really, really chaotic. It's a huge city as well. Like it's absolutely massive. Yeah. And there's some very rich people there and also some very, very poor people there. Like we were in a very nice accommodation. And but when you went outside, you could really see the the comparison of, you know, yeah. where the where the poverty line was. But really cool place, good to see. Definitely would go see it. But I would give, if I was advising anyone going travelling, I'd give it max two days. Yeah. That's okay. all you need there. And then after that, we headed into Cambodia. Myself and David actually left the group and we went into Cambodia because we wanted to see the killing fields and the S21 prison. Now, that also was really grim, but like really, really educational and really, really opened my eyes to what actually happened in the 70s in Cambodia. I didn't know how, how bad things were, but um, really, really, really good to see. Sad mm. though, very sad. Mm. And and uh, did you spend a number of days in Cambodia or was it just a, a short trip? So we did about six days in Cambodia, I think. Um, so we, as I said, myself and David kind of went there on our own and we decided we'd go to one of the islands there for 
nice little getaway, the two of us. And yes. this is this is a funny one. So we got to this lovely island. We arrived. It was like Maldives vibes. It was like white sand, gorgeous palm trees, really, really nice. And um, we went into the sea, and there and the place we were staying at, there was dogs there at the resort. Now, usually when there's dogs at the resort, they're absolutely fine. But obviously, you're told going away, stay away from all warm-blooded animals because you never know what they carry. Mm. So staying away, myself and Dave were coming out of the sea then and David went to sit down and the dog basically ran and bit David in the behind. So we had a bit of a mishap. Now, all is fine. He's just doing... He has to basically just as like a cautionary thing just to get the jabs now every couple of days. So our itinerary has kind of changed because we have to obviously get them on the right days. But um, yeah, pain the ass for David. (laughs) I'm just thinking something comes back and bites you in the ass comes to mind. That saying when you think about it, we wish him well. Tell him we wish him well. But anyway, he's been cared for and that is the main thing. Any subtle difference between Cambodia and Vietnam? Oh yeah, loads of differences. I I thought that um, the Vietnamese were their mannerisms were a lot more um, friendly and like warm. Now, other people thought the other way, but I just just what I got. Now the Cambodians were still absolutely lovely. Mm. Uh, the food as well was definitely like Cambodia kind of changed straight away into more like Thai food, like really really heavy like noodles, curries, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then an awful lot more, I saw, we met an awful lot more Westerners in Cambodia. Mm. Now, that could have just been the place we were at. Yeah. But we met loads more there. Like, we stayed at this place called Campot. And this was a, a hostel that used to be an old water park. So, it was really, really cool. Like, it was, I think Cambodia was more um, just kind of recreational, having fun, other than the killing fields, other than the first day we got there, the capital. Everything else was very kind of like chilled for us. Whereas Vietnam, there was so much to do. You were go, 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 go all the time. Mm. Now, I see a picture here of uh, Bangkok from the highest building. Yes. So that is King Power Skywalk. It's like 78 floors. Um, you can go there if you have loads of money to go to the bar up there. Now, we were not those people. We went and had a nosy and did the skywalk. Um, but it's really nice. Really, really nice. And that was at sunset as well. So that was a really nice time to go. I think that would cost you, though, about $20 for admission and to go up. Um, But I think it's well worth it. It, It's a nice thing to see. See, Bangkok, there are a couple of things to do in Bangkok, but you can kind of get through them in a day. Like the the big temples, the palace and the skywalk, and then just kind of rambling around the streets. So it is a big city, but you can get through it. So... I would advise doing it. It is a bit expensive compared to other things in Bangkok to do. Mm. And where to from here? How long now are you staying on that island? What's the plan from this point on? So we're probably going to head over to Koh Tao and then Koh Samui. It's kind of island hopping from here until we get to Phuket. Uh, and then we are going to fly there from there to Singapore. So right. we the only thing booked is the flight to Singapore. Uh, and that's on the... 13th so until then it's kind of is taking every day as it comes and seeing what's going on like there's stuff going on every day in different places like there's festivals going on here tomorrow we found out there's a this like very jungle orientated island and they're having festivals here tomorrow in the jungle so we're like oh maybe we'll stay and do that or maybe we'll head on to Koteo because there's diving in like Koteo has like it's like I think it's like the size a bit bigger than Drada but it has like 150 diving schools all around the island like it's the main place to dive in Ireland, in Thailand. 
So I, I think that's what we'll do tomorrow or the next day. Terrific. Aren't you just living the dream, young one? Patrick's Day. So you'll be uh, moved on then for Patrick's Day. You'll have done we, that flight. We should, in Sydney, we should be living... We should be landing in Sydney on the 16th. Oh, right. In All going according to plan. <laughs> OK, great. Well, look, we'll touch base with you before that. So we'll just before you make uh, the uh, move to Australia. Um, meet any other Irish people? I'm just curious. Oh, plenty. Oh, we've brought a few now on the way with us, a couple of places. All right. We've met a good, great, great group. The Irish, I think the Irish always find the Irish no matter where you go. Um, and it's nice. A lot of people are solo traveling. So it's really nice to be like, oh, my, I recognize the accent. Where are you from? And like having a chat that way. But no, we've met a good few. I'd say most people we've met, actually, most have probably been English. But I'd say maybe about 40 percent have been Irish. It's great seeing everyone out and about like and just traveling. It's just so cool meeting people. And one thing that's actually when you ask me about the difference between Cambodia and Vietnam, a massive difference. Well, something I've never seen before or heard of before. So they like to have like rotisserie foods over here. Um, for example, goats, ducks, frogs, all that kind of stuff. They were the main ones in Vietnam. Then we came through Cambodia and Thailand. And they're like, their main thing is full rotisserie alligators everywhere. Oh, my. My, oh, my. It just shows you, you know, the differences and the nuances there are, as I said, between place to place. Anyway, enjoying where you are now, living the dream, as I said. Thank you so much for talking to us again. We'll touch base, as I said. Yeah, we'll touch base before. I'm after saying that. I'm going to be killed here. You know how many times I'm after saying that? Three times. We'll talk again before you take that (laughs) flight to Australia, if that's okay. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thanks, Jerry. Regards to everybody and the party as well. Thank you, Lizzie. Bye. Lizzie Doran there. Uh, Lizzie today, of course, you heard where she is and she is moving on and we'll touch base for her in a couple of weeks time, which I said again for the fourth time. And somebody listening has picked up on that as well. What did Jerry say there? How many euros is that? How many years is that? Do I owe you seven euro? I owe Louise seven euro for this. In one day, imagine. I'm going to be broke by the time Lent is over. Ah, oh, but it's all for a good cause. It will be anyway. <laughs> and that listener delighted there by WhatsApp to say, thanks, seven is right, Louise. You're spot on. Anyway, tomorrow on the show, we will be talking all about books. It's World Book Day. I'm paying a visit to a lovely bookshop. Uh, we'll hear about the big news from Singley Foods in Dundalk. And Niall Hatch is here, of course. It's nesting season for our feathered friends. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Have a lovely midweek Wednesday evening and do come back for your late lunch Thursday from 1.30. We'll see you then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.